0: And that is just a reminder that for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking uh, we're going to do a mini-series called Sex S. And this is just my warning to parents um, that the messages will definitely be PG, uh, if not a little higher than that at times. So uh, we certainly invite all of the kids who will be here who are normally here, but just to give you the heads up that we'll be talking about some things that we don't usually talk about here on a Sunday morning. So don't say you weren't warned.
1: Stephanie. Morning. scripture is from 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 23. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this, For the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings.
0: Last week, Melissa and I were driving uh, up University Ave, and she uh, pointed at the university, at the Humanities Theater, and said, That's where it all began. All of this began as a response to go to a place where there was no church and create a place for students to discover Jesus during their young adult years. The Humanities Theatre was the place that we met for the first three years. The point was that we would go to meet with them on their turf, rather than asking them to come to where we were. And we took up Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5.20 as our own, "'We are therefore Christ's ambassadors,' as though God were making His appeal through us. We had some amazing years on campus, but in due time, the university administration got their way and we were forced to leave. Apparently, churches aren't what universities are after. But as I think about it in the context of this morning's message, Christians really have a long history of doing this of going out into the world with an agenda that fails to take into consideration the people we're claiming to serve. I mean, there's no doubt that we're sent out into the world around us. Some of Jesus' last words, according to Matthew in Matthew 28, read as follows. He brings his his closest followers together, and, and the last things that he says to them is this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Powerful words and inspiring words, and yet somehow Jesus' people have taken these words far out of their original context and have done all kinds of horrible things with them. The worst examples down on through through history would, would be the Crusades, where people actually got armor and weapons in their hands and mounted horses and went out to forcibly convert nations and other religions to the Christian faith. Or colonization, where people would go and bring the message of Jesus along with a way of Western culture and impose it on the people that they went to. Again, I think with a lot of their motives stemming from this idea of making disciples of all nations. And I think that there's a sense, even when we went onto the university campus, that, that we thought, well, we'll just go there and, and kind of do what we're called to do. But Jamie Smith, a contemporary author, asks a great question. He says, Could unapologetic witnessing also involve attentive listening? So can we take the words of Jesus to go out and share this good news and make disciples of all nations? Can we do that and at the same time listen to the people that we're interacting with, learn from them? And so a little over 10 years ago, as I sat down with Trevor Gingrich, uh, who is one of our mission partners who started a church on campus at Humber College, um, and I talked to him, uh, I said to him, you got to learn from our mistakes. Because I wasn't necessarily aware of it at the time, but one of the things that I certainly came to learn in hindsight was that I wish I would have listened more. I wish I would have sat down with the university administration, with the student leadership, with the people who are already active there, and I wish I would have listened to what their needs were, and I would have responded a little more rather than just charging in and eventually running into the trouble we did. Well, this morning, we're considered the importance of listening to voices from outside of our church community And the blessing that follows when we do. So as I was reflecting on this in these beginnings of our student church, a story came to mind that I'll share with you. Lots of great stories from those years, but this is a good one. Um, we were meeting at Fed Hall at the time, and we didn't really have much money as a church, and uh, someone donated a photocopier to us, but it was a piece of junk, and it would only make like one or two copies at a time. And so every Monday night, we had to photocopy 500 copies of our program, um, and so we would go to Kinko's to do it. And so we would have one of our leaders would go down to Kinko's, and she'd make 500 copies of this program. And uh, after week after week, she began to make uh, kind of build a relationship you know, with the guy who was working at Kinko's every Monday night. And eventually he asked, like, what is, what is going on? What is the thing that you come in every Monday afternoon and print all these flyers out for? And she said, well, that's actually it's a church for students. And, and she said, Yeah, you, know, you should come out sometime. And he's like, yeah, I might do that. Uh, and eventually one time he said, I think I'm going to come out. And, and uh, he was a photographer. And he said, maybe I'll just come and take some pictures for you. Well, I knew none of this. I knew none of this as I'm standing up on the stage on a Monday night. And this guy is kind of walking around the periphery taking pictures. And it's not just any guy. He's, he's dressed in goth. So he's got like black makeup, a black fishnet shirt, black jeans on. And he's walking around taking pictures. And I'm thinking, why is nobody doing something about this? Like I'm in the middle of something. I'm in the middle of something right here. And no one else sees this as a problem. Anyways, afterwards, uh, I kind of went to one of our leaders. I said, what's going on? What was with that guy? And they said, oh, that's the Kinko's guy. And he came. But the funny part of the story is at the end of the, of the night, they said, listen, it was great for you to come out tonight. Do you want to come out and hang out? We're going to go to a restaurant. And he said, sure. He said, just let me go home and get changed first. And they said, well, why? You don't have to get changed. He said, I don't dress like this. He said, I wore this because I wanted to see what church people would do if they saw someone dressed like this. And the person asked him, well, how do people react? And he said, well, they didn't react at all. (laughs) Yes, okay. So, I mean, that's an interesting strategy, right? Like, to try to be excluded. Like, I'm going to go to church and do my best to be excluded there. That's an interesting strategy. Well, in this morning's reading, Paul explains how despite the radically different message that he was bringing from town to town, he sought to be accepted wherever he went. Though I am free and belong to no one, he wrote. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Notice the motivation is the same, to win people to the kingdom of God. He was being obedient to Jesus. He was going out and sharing this message and and teaching people. His motivation was the same, but his strategy was very different. His strategy is striking. Paul was willing to become a slave to the people that he wanted to reach. Far from dressing in goth to try and speed up his rejection, he found out what the locals were wearing, so to speak, and made sure that he would blend in with them. Eugene Peterson translates 1 Corinthians nine twenty one this way, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. Now, Paul may not have had an opportunity to witness Jesus doing this same thing, but surely he would have heard of the kind of reputation Jesus garnered for his behavior. A classic example comes at the beginning of Luke chapter 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Well, Jesus responded to this comment and they're muttering by teaching a series of parables to illustrate that what he was doing was only something that anyone would do when something of value was lost. He told the story of a shepherd who had his flock of 100 sheep, and, and one of them went missing. And so he, he abandoned the 99, and he went off in search of the one that had gone missing. And then he tells a story about a woman who had 10 gold coins, but she could only find nine of them. So she put the nine aside and, and swept every corner of her house until she found the one that was missing. And then he told a profound story about a father who had two sons, and one of these sons rejected him, took his inheritance and squandered it in wild living. And and he talked about how that father just watched and waited for his son to return. The difference between Jesus and the Pharisees, it would seem, is that the latter didn't see these sinners as valuable as worthy of retrieving. Jesus was willing to hang out with them, was willing to go places and be around people that had bad reputations because he had an interest in sharing some good news with them. We all value things differently. I mean, the French value things really differently. Did you hear the news this week? Nutella riots spread across France. That's a little play on words. But basically, this chain... You'll get it in a second. This chain of grocery stores heavily discounted Nutella. Now, apparently... Like, France eats more Nutella than any other place in the world. And so, according to the, the words of one of the supermarket employees, it was a real disaster. 200 people were outside waiting for the supermarket's opening. All of this mess for a Nutella jar. People just rushed in, shoving everyone, breaking things. You can see video. People are, like, going nuts. Like, listen, I love a deal at the grocery store. But come on. Anyways, we all value things differently. Jesus valued people differently than the Pharisees and teachers of the law did. And the primary reason for the religious leaders didn't see the value in these sinners was their commitment to purity laws and the belief that one would be guilty by association. See, the Jews weren't even supposed to have dinner with someone. They weren't even supposed to enter the house of someone who was unclean, who was a sinner. Jesus would say in Luke 7, 24, that the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. As far as the religious leaders were concerned, Jesus was just like the people he was with. Of course, Jesus was neither a drunkard nor a glutton, but there's something to be said for living in such a way that an outside observer might come to that conclusion. Well, back to Paul, he says, "'To the Jews I became like a Jew.'" to win the Jews. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul is willing to try anything that will help remove barriers and get his message across. Shane Moe writes that relevance is based on the important concept of common ground. Without some form of common ground between people, there is no basis for communication or relationships. Common ground serves as a starting point from which people can begin to experience and make sense of the world together. Maybe six or eight months ago, two different people in our church sent me... um, information about this guy named Father Greg Boyle. Uh, He works with gangs in Los Angeles, and it was kind of random that they both did, so I decided to kind of learn a little bit about this guy. He started this thing called uh, Homeboy Industries. Basically, he's a a priest who's working in a very rough part of L.A., and he began to get to know his neighbors, and he began to get to know the problems that existed in his neighborhood, and realizing that uh, half of the people in his neighborhood didn't even graduate from high school and that's the higher percentage of anywhere else in the region of, of people who were incarcerated, and the significantly high rate of people repeating crimes once they had spent time in prison. And he's like, I've got to figure out what to do here. And the one thing that he realized was that the key to all of this seemed to be employment, that there wasn't adequate employment, there weren't skills training. And when someone had found themselves in prison, there was just no way for them to reintegrate. And so they got caught up in the gang lifestyle and landed back in prison again. And so he started to to employ them, and he started this company in order to help them get their feet on the ground. But one of the things that I think is most inspiring about his work is that he's friends with these people. They're not like a mission for him. They're people that he knows and are in his life. And I listened to a talk that he gave to a a national gathering of Catholic uh, youth, um, and he was talking to them about his work and he made this comment that really struck me. He said, "The measure of our compassion lies not in our service to those in the margins, but in our willingness to see ourselves in kinship with them." He says, like, you know, the church kind of makes this mistake. that He thinks that what Jesus is asking us to do is go out and do good things for people. He's like, no, actually, Jesus is asking us to be in relationship with people and do life with them. And so that's what he's doing, and that's why he has the success that he does, because he's genuinely one of these people. It's profound. Don't misunderstand him, of course. Service has its place. But if we serve out of a belief that we are anything other than brothers and sisters of equal human value, then we've missed the point. Our best listening will come when we're sitting side by side with one another, so Jesus made this comment in the course of his uh, sermon on the mount, that I think is often misunderstood. At least I used to misunderstand it uh, until someone who I'll refer to here helped me see it a little differently. He says, "Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces." I think the first few dozen times or whatever I read this and or heard this talked about. Um, I read a commentary on this. It was all about, you know what, there are some people who just aren't going to get it. There are some people who just aren't going to get this this sacred thing you're giving them, this pearl that you're giving them. And so don't waste your time. There are other people who deserve your time more. Some people will just reject it no matter what you do. And then Dallas Willard came along and said, it's not worthiness that is in question here at all, but helpfulness. It's not whether the, the dog or the pig deserves this thing. It's, why would you give this thing to a dog or a pig? Of course animals react this way when you give them something of no value to them. A sacred object means nothing to a dog. A pearl means nothing to a pig. Why are you giving it? It reminds me of like when our kids were young, we'd take them to the little animal enclosure at Waterloo Park, and they'd have the deer there. And the kids would like go down on their knees, and they'd pick up like a handful of dirt, and they'd feed the the deer some dirt. Like, the, de- the deer's got plenty of dirt inside the cage. You know, but they're like, I'm feeding the... No, like, the deer doesn't want your dirt. Give it a carrot or something. I don't know. Of course. Reminds me of this great quote from Mark Twain. He says, never try to teach a pig to sing. It wastes your time and annoys the pig. Now, we must consider the people that we're interacting with. We can't simply be satisfied with throwing our pearls and... And hoping for the best, and then blaming it on, on the person for not receiving this great thing that we've given out there. I was at a luncheon this week, and a guest speaker was a, a pastor of a church, just a young church, about seven years old, in Saint Thomas, Ontario. And she talked about uh, how they started the church. They did their church is really um, integrated in their in their downtown core there, and really doing a lot of great things. And she talked about one of the turning points for her. She said that uh, previously she was involved with the church that I think she said it was like on a monthly basis they would send a team to go serve. I think it was maybe a soup kitchen, that kind of an environment. And she showed up one night, let's say it was a Thursday night, and the director was there, and she said, oh, we're here. And, and the director said something to her that shook her. He said, I hate it when your group comes here. She's like, what? We're coming to do a good deed's. He says, yeah, but you're coming on your terms. You're coming at a time that works for you, and i got to leave my family at home to come here and unlock so you can do your good deeds for people. And she said it shook her. She thought, what's the matter with us? That's actually what we're doing. And she said she determined that whatever I start, whatever we do, we are going to meet people on their terms, on their turf, at their point of need, and we will adjust our schedules accordingly. Yeah, we need to respect people enough to stop forcing our good things on them. Again, Willard says the point is not the waste of the pearl, but that the person given the pearl is not actually helped. So, ask yourself what kind of engagement a person needs. Not in a way that panders to their self interest, that can swing too far the other way, but in a way that genuinely seeks their best. What questions are the people in our lives asking? What concerns do they have? What do they need? Thomas Kelly says, do we want to help people because we feel sorry for them or because we genuinely love them? The world needs something deeper than pity. It needs love. As I wrap up here this morning, I want to read from Jeremiah 29. This is a passage that was basically a a word that was given to the people of Israel who were in exile. The advice that God gave This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. It's a profound way to think about engaging with the world around us that is much different than mounting a horseback or wiping out civilizations or, or forcing ideas on people, but saying, you know what? you're at home in a place that might feel strange to you at times. You're at home in a place where people don't value things that, the way you do, but just plant some gardens, spend some time, start a family. Just be present there and do whatever you can to seek the peace and prosperity of the place you live in. We are invited to seek the peace and prosperity of our city. We're invited to pray for our city. And we can get started on this as we live and work and play alongside the people around us, keeping our ears open to what they're saying, listening to what they are saying, and inviting God into our conversations. One of my favorite quotes comes from Stanley Grenz. He says, Christians are co-participants with people around them in an ongoing conversation about what it means to be human. It's an interesting way of thinking about Jesus' command to go and teach people to obey what he's commanded and make disciples of all nations is to be meaningful conversation partners with people, to talk about what it means to be human, about the real stuff of life. And when we're genuinely involved in other people's lives, we'll have these conversations, and both parties will leave changed for the better. I'd invite you to stand. I'd like to read one last time Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23, and then we'll pray together. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Lord, as we come to an end of a series talking about the importance of listening, we've considered what it means to listen to one another well and to listen for your voice and and collectively to discern how you're speaking to us as a community. But let's not forget that we have opportunities to listen every day to the people that we interact with. And I pray that we would do that that we wouldn't just go out into those relationships and go out into our city with, with a message to share, but that we would begin in a posture of, of humility and, and listening, that we would listen and up for the needs of the community around us, the people around us, that we would be open to responding. As the video we watched earlier said, like in my house? Yeah, maybe, maybe in our houses. Help us to put our ears to the ground and understand how you're calling us to respond, what it means to genuinely give good news to the people around us. God, I ask that as we go and spend time around tables, that you would inspire us, that you would lead us to challenge and push one another to think about what it means to share your good news, to think about what it means to listen and become genuine conversation partners with the people around us. And I ask that these words of Scripture would echo in our minds and our hearts throughout the week. We pray these things with thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we do each week, we invite you to join us for some conversation. If you've never done it before, hey, this morning's a great time to start. We invite you to make your way out the front and into the gym. There are a bunch of round tables. No set seats, just sit down, dive into some conversation.